Thank you for listening to a Christ-centered message from Grace Community Church. We are committed to proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology and trust that you will receive encouragement as we study today's passage together. Lord, thank you for uh, the work that you're doing in the world, around the world, in Nairobi, in Mumbai, uh, through Focus, uh, what will be Manila. Thank you for what you're doing right here in Richmond. Um, thank you for this church partnership and um, the many people that you've brought together and the more that we know you will bring. Um, we pray for your blessing on our time this morning as we look to you about how you uh, desire to use us uh, in this uh, place, this time and place that you've positioned us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good to be back. Nice full crowd, more, more than I thought maybe, uh, given the circumstances. So um, good to be back in Detroit. Of course, um, good to see my good friend Brian and his family again. Brian told me, uh, by text, he said, you want to go to the Detroit-Tampa Bay game? And um, I was so excited. I, I thought until we got there, I thought we were going to see Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, but um, it was still a great time um, and good to, be, good to be back in the house of God and see all of you again. So... The, the, the times we're living in, there's some challenges, yeah? A few challenges. It seems the, the ungodly have moved from private rebellion to public rebellion against God to open public mockery of the people of God. It seems they've become emboldened to the point of arrogance. And at this point, it seems that the voices of those who revere God are, are completely drowned out by the blasphemies bellowing throughout the land. Grandparents wish for the way it used to be. Parents wonder, what's this thing going to look like as my children grow up? The disruption seemed to happen overnight like waking up to a new normal. Although most recognize that, uh, no, these things have been brewing for a long, long time. Whether describing the current situation in America or many other parts of the world, or whether describing the situation in our text this morning. It seems awfully clear the battle lines have been drawn. 
Please open your Bibles with me to 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel chapter 17. Old Testament, the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 17, will begin in verse 1. So as we, as we think about our context, as we look at the situation, that's, I think in many ways there's a, a lot of similarities uh, between the story of David and Goliath, uh, the challenges that they were facing and the challenges that we're facing. Uh, I'd like to present you with five crucial responses when we're in this situation. So, 1 Samuel chapter 17, beginning in verse 1. Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle. And they were gathered at Soko, which belongs to Judah, and encamped between Soko and Azekah, in Ephes Damim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah. And they drew up in line of battle against the Philistines. And the Bible's going to give us here in verse 3 sort of, um, you know, good, good imagery so we can imagine what this situation looked like. Verse 3 says that the Philistines stood on the mountain on one side, and then opposite of that, Israel stood on the mountain on the other side, and there was this deep uh, valley in between them. Verse 4. There came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, and his, his height was uh, six cubits. Now, um, just to do sort of an um, American uh, exchange here, a cubit is about a foot and a half. And there's some variation in text on how big Goliath actually was. Some, most of them have him at six cubits. There are some manuscripts that have him a little less than that. Regardless, huge, enormous, ominous, big, and bad. Somewhere probably between seven to maybe even nine feet tall. And not just uh, big, uh, as I said, He's, he's, he's bad. Verse 4 says he's a champion. So he's trained in battle. His height is six cubits and a span. He had a helmet. He has all the latest gear. Helmet of bronze on his head. He's armed with a coat of mail. Now, this is, this is like a flexible metal thing you put over yourself, maybe like an apron kind of thing, but it's a, a chainy kind of thing, so it's flexible as you move, but if somebody hits you with an arrow, it kind of bounces off. So he's got all the, the latest and greatest gear on top of being seven, eight, nine feet tall, got to be at that height. He didn't weigh 100 pounds. You know, if you're seven, eight, nine feet tall, this guy is 400, 450, maybe 500. He's a big, big man and trained, and with all the latest gear. Verse uh, 6 says he has a, a bronze armor on his legs. A javelin of bronze is slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his 
spear was like a weaver's beam. And the, the spearhead alone weighed 600 shekels of pure iron. End of verse 7 tells us he has a personal, a personal assistant whose only job is to just carry his giant shield. Verse 8, this Goliath, now again, look, the, the, the mountain on this side with all of the Philistines, the mountain on this side with all of the Israelites, a valley in between, and this giant, verse 10, so he, he comes down, uh, verse 8, sorry, and he stood and he shouted to the ranks of Israel. This is nothing short of a mocking session. I've got my own thoughts on why he's even going through this whole exercise. I think that the Philistines are so confident. Can I say overconfident? It makes me wonder why they just didn't wipe out this army that they seem to clearly feel like doesn't have a chance. So this whole mocking session that the, the Philistine, the Goliath comes out, why are you guys even drawing out to, why do you even come out here? Look at you. Look at me. Am I not a Philistine? Are you not just, just pathetic servants of Saul? The mockery. I defy the ranks of Israel. This day, give me a man that we might fight together. This leads me to our first crucial response. It's time to unite in battle. It's time to unite in battle. Now, look, I'm not talking about, uh, let, me, let me address what somebody might be thinking right here. I'm not talking about some evangelical, ecumenical kumbaya session, you know. Yes, theology matters. No, I'm not talking about coexist bumper sticker Christianity. Yes, theology matter. Yes, doctrine matters. But I think it's a pretty, 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 uh, pretty agreeable statement that there's too much infighting in the church. Just bringing this back to our context now. Okay, this is an Old Testament story, but it's 2021, and we're in an evangelical Protestant church. There's too much infighting in the church, not enough outfighting. How do we fight out? Outreach. We're this side of the cross. So how, how are we expanding the kingdom of God? We're sharing the message of the cross is one way. So this isn't unity with no boundaries. What I'm, what I'm proposing this morning, let's not major on the minors especially at a time like, like this. Let's stop majoring on the minors. And what I'm kindly asking, I think that we should all do when I say unite in battle, is I'm not saying that that thing that, that, thing that like really matters to you, that it, I'm not saying it doesn't matter, but I'm asking you to take out your measuring stick. <laughs> 
measure that thing against the nine-foot-tall giant in our culture that is barking blasphemy at your God and your faith and the people of God and think twice before you unite in battle against your pastor or someone else in your own army. Let's look again at verse 1, chapter 17, verse 1. Clearly, the Philistines are united. Isn't it funny how sometimes it seems like the enemies of God are more united than the people of God? Chapter 17, verse 1 says that the Philistines are gathered. There's some unification. They're gathered in their, in their armies. What's an army? I'm an army, by the, just, just by implication, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking there's some unity there, you know. Their arm, what are they there for? It says for battle. They came for a fight. One body of people intent on one purpose. They're united. And then check out the, the uh, uh, verse 1. Verse, let's keep going on verse 1 here. Where are they gathered at? Oh, how about that? They're gathered at Soko, which the Bible tells us belongs to Judah. Oh, they're right on our front porch. Oh, that thing that, you know, that, those, that stuff that you used to hear about, all the barking blasphemy that was like over there somewhere. Oh, now it's in my kid's classroom. Oh, right on our front porch. The Philistines, the known enemies of God, are in Soko, which the Bible says belongs to Judah. What do we do in response? Number two, it's time to stand firm. It's time to stand firm. It's time to stand upright. It's time to believe in what you believe in and whom you believe in. It's time to have a spiritual backbone. Fear doesn't lead well. Look at verse 11. Chapter 17, verse 11 says, Saul, and he's the king. He's the king of Israel. When Saul and all of Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Fear doesn't lead well. Fear doesn't mobilize. Fear paralyzes. And look, I get it. I think we all get it. Again, taking this right back to our context, sometimes the, 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 the people who are barking blasphemy, uh, they can be intimidating, yeah? You know, they're, they're trained uh, champions. They're loud. They're proud. It's, uh, it, can, it, can be, it can be intimidating. But Christian, I want to remind you that no matter how big, no matter how loud, no matter how well-trained their champions are, we walk by faith and not by sight. And even when the situation seems absolutely hopeless, our God has a plan. 
God's about to unfold his plan in this text in a very peculiar fashion. He's going to use one of the most unlikely characters. Look at verses 12 through 18. I'll paraphrase here, verses 12 through 18. Now David, David is introduced. David is introduced. We see that he is the son of a a rather obscure uh, man from Bethlehem in Judah. His name is Jesse. Jesse's David's father. Jesse's got eight sons. The Bible says that the three oldest of Jesse's sons, they were on the battlefield that day with Saul. So they're, they're in the army. Uh, you've got Eliab, the oldest. You've got Abinadab under him. And then the third was Shammah. And verse 14 tells us that of all eight of them, David was the youngest. Uh, three, the, the three oldest were in the army with Saul. Uh, David used to go back and forth. Uh, giving provisions to his brothers that were out on the battlefield. And, but his main role, he's the youngest. He was, he's still living at home. He's taking care of the sheep. Verse 17, though, Jesse says to David, his son, he says, I want you to take to your brothers an ephah of this parched grain and these 10 loaves. I want you to carry them quickly to the camp to your brothers. And also take these 10 cheeses to the uh, commander of their thousand. And Jesse's looking for a report back to see how things are going. Now, verse 20, uh, I like David. He's an early riser, just like me. I also see some eagerness in the young man, though. He, he gets up early the next day. It says he rises early. He leaves the sheep with the keeper. And he took the provisions and he went, and just as his dad told him to. And he came to the encampment. And as, the, as the, the host was going out to battle line and shouting the war cry, and Israel and the Philistines drew up for battle army against army, and David left the things in charge with the keeper of the baggage, and the Bible says that he's running. He, he ran. He ran to the ranks and went and he greeted his brothers. And just as he was talking with them, we didn't cover this verse, but a few verses back, we see that um, this battle's been going on for 40 long days. It says for 40 days, Goliath is day and night, actually. They said, all day, all night, 40 long days, this, this whole shenanigans is going on. And Goliath is coming out from the ranks and he's defying God and defying the... It appears that all of this time, it's not until verse 23 that as that moment, as David is talking with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, he came out from the ranks of the Philistines and he spoke all these same words that he had been spoken. And into verse 23, and David heard him. No, 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 bad timing, Goliath, bad timing. What was David's reaction when he heard him? David's about to lead us to our third point this morning, and that is it's time to express some righteous 
indignation. It's time to express some righteous indignation. Look at uh, chapter 17, verse 26. David, when he heard this, he, he said to the, the men who stood by, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? Now look, uh, David asks the question, what, what, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine? But what we're about to find out, I think very clearly, is that um, it had nothing to do with any earthly rewards for David at all. There would be some earthly rewards. Look at verse 25, backing up one verse. Uh, the men of Israel say, like, you know, come up and defy the Israel, and the, he says the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. Uh, another translation says to be free in Israel means like no taxes. You know? now, I don't know why nobody jumped on that one. Yeah. Like, personally, I, you know, I'd have been like, ta no taxes. What? what? Um, the responsibility was, was, was great. The reward had to be great. Problem was the people like Saul and the people of Israel, they had to motivate and be motivated by earthly means. Great riches, the king's daughter, no more taxes. God is looking for someone who is motivated by something greater than earthly rewards. And when this giant came barking his blasphemies against God and his people and David heard it, his spirit was stirred. Maybe unlike anybody else in the field that day. In the second half of verse 26, after David asks what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes the reproach from Israel, he says, for who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God. First time in the whole text that God is even mentioned. 26 verses, more than halfway through the chapter, David completely shifts the whole conversation from the natural to the supernatural. For David... This has nothing to do with money, with a girl, with taxes. He isn't thinking about the possibility of a future book deal. <laughs> David was righteously indignant about preserving the honor of God and removing the reproach from the people of God. Now, this, um, this matter of righteous indignation... Uh, many of us get this all wrong. There's, uh, there's a spectrum here, and I'll talk about just two camps here real quick. Uh, some of you may be thinking like, 
righteous indignation, like righteous anger. I was like, this is an oxymoron, isn't it? Like righteous anger, like those two words don't go together. That's not Christ-like, right? Maybe, it can be. Um, clearly, Christ did not behave like this all the time. But I think we could easily build a case to see Christ uh, show some righteous indignation in his interaction with the Pharisees, first of all. Um, let's not forget about that one time. <laughs> you know, Jesus flipping over tables and driving people out of the... In the same way, David was righteously indignant over what he was hearing. I think we should be too. Now, uh, now I'm going to talk about the other end of the spectrum where we get this wrong. Because there's such a thing as unrighteous indignation, you know, by the way. Yeah, I know some of you, maybe somebody could be listening and say, yeah, go ahead, preacher. I know that. I got this righteous indignation th thing down pat. I, I, in fact, I cussed out three people on Facebook last week, just, just last week alone. No, that, that's, that's, not what I, that's not what I'm talking about. What you've just described is righteous. I'm, I'm just talking about righteous, being righteously indignant, not righteously ignorant. That's, that's different. We, we can be righteously indignant without chopping people up, cutting them down, hurting their feelings publicly. At the same time, if you can hear the, the, the blasphemies that are being shouted in, in our culture and your spirit isn't stirred like David's was on the field that day, I think you and I need to have a conversation about that. So it's time to unite in battle. It's time to stand firm it's time to express some righteous indignation. And if you do these three, you better be sure to do this fourth thing because if you don't, you're, you're, you're derailed. It's time to focus on the God who gives victory. Look at verse 28. Because you know, look, if you don't, you're, you have to be laser focused on the God who gives victory. Without that, the first three really mean nothing. You're going to get sidetracked by yourself, by the devil, by your flesh, by people. And look in verse 20, 28, maybe even your own brother. As soon as David says this, as soon as David says, you know, who, who is this uncircumcised Philistine defy the armies of... Right then, his brother, his oldest brother Eliab, he hears him. And when he heard him, the Bible says that Eliab's anger was kindled against David. Jealousy. 
jealousy, envy. He comes right over, probably gets right in David's face. He said, what are you even doing here? Why have you come down? He said, what, what, where's those sheep you're supposed to? Aren't you supposed to be home taking care of the sheep right now? He says, I know the presumption of your evil heart. No, you don't. No, you don't. No, he doesn't. I know the presumption of your evil heart, he says to David. You've come down here. You're just being nosy. You've come down here to see the battle. Look, I can tell you from experience, some of you know, it just seems as soon as you like set out to do something big for God, it's somebody way up in the nosebleed sections. <laughs> somebody way up in the nosebleed section, not even out on the field, you know? They, they criticize you sitting up there with a, a big mug of beer on their belly, tell you about what you should be doing, what you should not be. Eliab's been out there for 40 days. Situation getting any better? David's been out there for 40 seconds. And Eliab's already got all this criticism. You know, we got to stay focused on the God who gives Victory can't get sidelined by people like this. My pastor back in Chicago uh, gave me some of the best ministry advice I've ever received. He said, Corey, in ministry, there is just going to be a few sticks in the mud who are going to plant themselves right in the middle of your path. Plow around them. Plow around them. David does just that. Uh, look at verse 30. I love his response. It's a non-response. He doesn't even respond to the guy. Verse 30, he just moves away. He, says, he turns away and he turns to another and he starts speaking the same thing. He's not going to give any energy, any spiritual energy, any mental energy. None of that is going to be given to this guy. I've done that. I'll continue to do that. In this text, I see David doing that. And look, when you do that, God's going to open up some, some other doors for you. Look at verse 31. When the words that David spoke were heard, somebody repeated them to who? The king of Israel. And the king of Israel uh, sent for David. Now, like, wow, uh, this little shepherd boy is about to get a showing with the king of Israel. Standing firm, righteously indignant, in the right place at the right time, in line with God's will, and now face to face with King Saul. Uh, Verse 33 is a bit humorous for me. I think like Saul, <laughs> look, he had to be a bit excited when someone told him that like, hey, your offer, hey, somebody's willing to take you up on your offer. Yeah, <gasps> bring him in. He had to be excited. Look, 40 days of this, and he's the king. He's like kind of on the hook to fix this problem. He's, he's more than excited to meet this guy who thinks he can take out that guy. And then his face must have just fallen. 
a, a, like a boy? He's a little, he's a boy. How am I going to put the, the, the future of Israel? Have you heard the offer? Like the offer is like if he, if he wins, we become their servant. How am I going to put the future of Israel in the hands of a little boy? This isn't making any sense. He's just a kid. Saul says what any responsible, level-headed individual would have said. He tells him in verse 33, Saul said to David, you are not able. You're not able. Not you. I don't know who, but not you. You are not able. You're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. You're just a kid. And him, he's, he's not only a grown man, he's a very, very grown man. Not to mention, you're just a kid, but he's been a man of war since he was a kid. David is about to teach us how to focus on the God who gives victory. Look, nobody else in this situation, nobody, nobody was looking at God. Everybody else was, most of people looking at the giant. Some people are looking at his, his armor and his gear. Uh, some people are looking at uh, uh, the, the armor won't fit right on David. Saul is looking at the fact that David's just kidding. Everybody's got their eyes on something else except for God. And while everyone else was focused on this big, scary giant, David is focused on the God who gives victory. Read verse 34 through 37 with me. Mm. David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father, and when there was a lion or a bear, it took the lamb from the flock. I went and I struck him, and I delivered the lamb from his mouth, and if he rose up against me, I caught that bugger by his beard, and I struck him and I killed him. And your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them. For he has defiled the armies of the living God. And verse 37 says it all where David's heart's at. Verse 37, he says, Saul, you might tell me I'm not able. You say you're not able. You're right. But my God is able. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. You see, this is, this is still completely about God and God's honor for David. He, he doesn't, He's focused on the God who gives victory. David doesn't care 
what his brother thinks about him. David doesn't care what Saul thinks about him. David doesn't care what Goliath thinks about him. Somebody needed to hear this. I hear this when I, when I wrote these notes. I said, I needed to hear that. David doesn't care what he thinks about him. All of that gets overshadowed when you become focused on God who gives victory. Somehow, Saul is going to decide to put the future of Israel in the hands of a, 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 an unarmed, by the way, little shepherd boy. And as we fast forward to verse 43, look at verse 43 with me. We see a face-off here. Unlike uh, Moses versus Pharaoh, one is mighty and strong and wealthy, has all the latest gear. He's powerful, seemingly unbeatable. The other has none of that. The other has nothing. No armor, no training. He only has big faith in a big God. And guess what? That's enough. And that's why our fifth point, our fifth and final point for today is it's time to believe boldly. It's time to believe boldly. Look at verse 43. The Philistine said to David, am I a dog? <laughs> well, you, 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 you're sending this guy with some little sticks Am I a dog that, like, and the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Now, all of, all of that, this nine-foot-tall giant, and all of that, like, venom, that anger, that hatred, that blasphemy, it's all directed, not at the group really anymore, it's directed, it's pinpointed to David now. Like he's the full, he's, he's receiving the full brunt of this. I can only imagine David must have felt some level of intimidation mixed with a brewing righteous indignation that's just about to boil over. Look at verse 46. David says this, Day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and I will cut off your head and I will give the dead bodies of the hosts of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel and that all of this assembly, even the doubting Jews, even the Philistine, everybody, all of this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear for the battle is the Lord's and he's going to give you into our hand. David means business. I love a quote I read from Bob Goff. He says, we pick a fight, call it out, 
take off your shoes and run at it. Running because time is short and without shoes because you are standing on holy ground. Verse 49, David put in his hand his, his bag and he took out a stone and he slung it and he struck the Philistine on the forehead and the stone sank right into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. Of all his training... Of all his training, nine feet tall, maybe 450 pounds, all his gear, all his training. That was the one scenario. He never, nobody ever trained him for a nine millimeter bullet coming 150 miles an hour. It was the one thing he wasn't even prepared. God did that. Everybody knew it. David prevailed, verse 50, it says, over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Struck the Philistine and killed him. And there was no sword in David's hand. And so then David ran over. He stood over that giant, that Philistine, and he took his sword. He drew it, killed him, cut off his head with it. And when the Philistine saw that their champion was dead, they booked it out of there. Now check out what happens. The, I wish I could have been there. Like, I'm, if, I'm in, if I'm in the army of Israel, like, before the, before the shot is thrown, I'm like, we're all, can't wait to see what's going to happen here. Uh, obviously tense. And as soon as this giant is like, <laughs> there must have been a rush of I don't know what going through that whole army. And it says that they took off after the Philistines and they chased them down. Listen, the army of Israel was no bigger, no badder, no stronger than it was prior to Goliath's death. They were emboldened by what God did through David, understanding that only God could have done this. Pastor Brian and I had a conversation. He pointed out, look, if David were here preaching right now, he would say, hey, guys, whoa, listen, nice story, but <laughs> that's nothing like, that's nothing. Uh, don't be too impressed with me. There was a much bigger giant in the land. Uh, he's still around. He's like uh, undefeated, undisputed. He hasn't killed thousands or millions. He has killed billions. He goes by the name of death. But there's somebody coming through my lineage, through my heritage, named Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And it was, he came up. He came out and he stomped on that giant's head. If anybody, folks, if anybody has more reason to unite around something, it's you. If anyone has more reason to unite in battle around someone, it's you, those followers of Jesus. If there's anybody... Who has more reason to stand firm? It's you. If there's 
anybody who should feel more righteous indignation and have the ability to do so, it's a people of God who actually has that Jesus dwelling in them. If there's anybody who has more reason to focus on the God who gives victory, well, guys, it's clearly you. If I'm David, I'm telling you, I'm like, I only had this much evidence. You got this much evidence. You know everything from parting Red Seas to nine-foot-tall giants collapsing to Jesus rising from the grave and conquering death to every single thing that has happened in your lives that can only be explained by God that you have a good reason to focus on the God who gives victory. And if there was anybody in history of time that had a better reason to believe boldly, it's you. Let's pray. Lord, whether the points are good or not, we can't do it without you. Whether the points are good or not, we go in vain unless you embolden us. We need a stirring in our spirits. The, the, the barking is loud. The, blasphemists are, the blasphemers are, are vile. We need your help today in this New Testament culture we're facing giants. We, we need to unite. I pray that you'll, you'll unite us, everyone who's listening, uh, around the, the, the majors. Bring us into one, fixed on you, standing firm, righteously indignant, focused completely on you who we know can bring the victory and believe you for all of these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you again for listening to Teaching from the Word at Grace Community Church. We are located in Richmond, Michigan. You can find us online at mygracechurch.com. Please subscribe and follow us at My Grace Church. It would be greatly appreciated if you would take a moment to rate, like, and share this message. We want you to always remember that you are loved.